It's Women's History Month, everybody. I'm real bitter. What are you propositioning me? Oh, I've wasted my life. Let's go snowboarding. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Thomas Schneider. Fat Thomas will seat you shortly. Uh, or Igor. Or Igor, actually. I've, or yeah. someone. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know who. And it's also unlikely. Nothing much ever seems to happen in no, the Palm Court. No, there's nobody in there anymore. Yeah. Ever since the suffragists pulled out. <laughs> yeah. They just use it for, like, you know, family meetings now. Yeah, which is really too much space for a family meeting. It is. Even though there's a lot of people, like, it's not... Yeah, it's not They're usually out of the country. (laughs) Right. It's all a bit much. It is. Uh, At any rate, uh, welcome. Hello. Right. Hi. This is this thing. This is a new thing. (laughs) This is odd for us. Right. Hopefully, you are feeling confident and comfortable. (laughs) Uh, This is the Palm Court, which is a spinoff... Of right. up yours downstairs, if you are just finding us now. Right. We imagine that most of you will have come here from up yours downstairs, a Downton Abbey podcast. But you may not have. But you may not have, which is actually the kind of the whole idea. We were hoping to find new people with this. Yes. Uh, and so if you are one of those people, welcome. Yeah, so just some context. Uh, about three years ago. Yeah? Yeah? I, I think so. I think so. About three years ago, we started a Downton Abbey podcast, and we have been covering things that take place in the Edwardian and post-World War One eras, one of which is Mr. Selfridge, uh, a terrific show yes. from ITV. And we decided, uh, let's spin it off. Right. I mean, it was certainly our favorite thing that we saw during that whole time mm-hmm. that was i mean apart from maybe a movie here or there but our favorite tv series that we saw during our time covering downton abbey mm-hmm. uh and you know we we just loved doing it and loved talking about it and for those of you who are uh up here's downstairs listeners the format's not going to be too much different it'll it's, be a little different it'll be a little different and I, we mean, don't, I mean we don't know i mean well, up here's right. downstairs was not in the format that it is currently right out the gate that's so. true but the core is still going to be us recapping and crapping cracking wise yes yeah. if you crap wise <laughs> we're going to have a problem <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so you know uh as far as social media and whatnot goes, we have a separate Twitter feed for this. It's at Palm Court Cast. Correct. Uh, we're maintaining, I think, the same Facebook and email accounts just for the sake of simplicity. Right. I'm already managing about nine different social <laughs> media profiles at the moment. Right. Um, so I think we'll probably we're gonna feel it out. We're gonna see yeah. what makes sense. If you have strong feelings one way or the other, email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail dot com. Right. Uh, otherwise, you can send us uh, a tweet, which we don't have a weird name for on this show yet. <laughs> right. Ah, but we do have a weird name for you, <laughs> listeners. Right. We have come up with your weird name uh, on this podcast. You will be known as customers. That's right. Because that's the most important thing. On Mr. Selfridge. It, it is, or it should be. The customer's always right. He invented mm. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, we have actually a letter from a customer. Yeah. In advance of even starting this podcast. <laughs> uh, so we'll be kicking this off. This is a segment we call Ellen Love Letters. <laughs> call back to previous seasons. That's right. Uh, like, it's like, what do you, what, I, it's just like, what do people know? Yeah, that's what hard do they to not say. Know? I mean, because they, we're they, coming in on season three here for one Yeah, thing. so number one, if you have not seen seasons one or two of Mr. Selfridge or at least listened to our podcasts, stop. Right. 
hammer time. Yeah. Uh, go back and do that because a lot of what's going to go on here won't make any damn sense. Yeah. But I mean, luckily on this feed, there are, we have included all of our podcasts that we did. Right. So as up yours downstairs. So yeah, most likely you'll have started there again. We're all going to, it's like a blended family. You know, here's the story of a podcast. That wasn't great. No, it was. Well, you know, I wasn't expecting, I already made up a whole parody song earlier. Like this is very, (laughs) and we weren't even recording it. I know. Wow. Oh, I've wasted my life (laughs) at any rate. Here's our first Ellen love letter. Customer Sherry writes, I have just discovered your podcast and I'm thankful to you for recommending Mr. Selfridge. I saw the promos during Downton Abbey, but never thought myself a Piven fan and dismissed it. When I saw you were covering it, I had to give it a chance. I am on the Mr. Selfridge is better than Downton Abbey fan boat. While listening to your coverage of season one, the episode where Mr. Grove gets engaged to Doris, I was audibly crying at work and I'm sure everyone thought me mad. In my mid-twenties, something similar happened to me when my boyfriend of eight years told me he was engaged to a girl he met two months ago and I had to move out. This was after many years of professing marriage was not for him. Like Miss Martle, I didn't know at the time getting away from him was then the best thing that could happen. So in that scene, I know exactly how Josie felt, and hearing you say how horrid it was brought me to tears again. I hope my years ahead of me are peppered with inheritance and belgians. <laughs> Keep up everything you do customer sherry uh well thank you for writing in yeah sherry we're a very glad that you have found mr selfridge and b terribly sorry yeah. that you had to go through that because regardless of how great things are now right it is never a good thing to be told by someone uh to move out yeah uh, that's generally that's never that's, that's never on the bottom news. of people's lists of things they want to hear yeah i mean telling somebody else that you yourself are moving out that can be positive yeah but being told to move out no no very uh very complex yeah uh at any rate thank you so much for listening um yeah and she brings up an interesting point whether mr selfridge is better than downton abbey right and it's still very hard to say because I feel like, I don't know, like watching Downton Abbey is so like comforting and soothing for some reason. <laughs> right. It's like sinking into a pot of velvety fondue <laughs> and I am, you know, a crusty chunk of bread or a cherry tomato that has been speared by a party guest. <laughs> and uh, I've always said that about you. I know. Well, now everybody knows. <laughs> No, and and even in this most recent uh, series five, I still get that feeling, even as I am like enraged, <laughs> right, by so much of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, I you know, but then Mr. Selfridge, I feel like the execution is not as good. But yeah, the plots are better. The, the plots I think, yeah, and the-, the the editorial attitudes are definitely things that we are mm. more interested in and agree with more, but they don't have as good. Uh, of an acting stable right the production values aren't bad yeah i mean i think the pro- and it's still itv which is the same uh channel that produces downton abbey right so we and know I they think, spared no expense yeah i mean i think you know i think they're basically identical it's just that downton abbey is set in this you know opulently wealthy setting mm-hmm. and mr selfridge is set at least partially in a more middle class setting that's true um but I mean, I, yeah, I definitely think the acting there, you know, it isn't bad on Mr. Selfridge, but it's, it's a, it's a cut below. Yeah. I mean, you know, say what you will about Jeremy Piven. He's no Maggie Smith. <laughs> right. And to, you know, they say an ensemble is only as strong as its weakest member, but it's also only as strong as its strongest member. <laughs> yeah. Like people yeah. forget that. That's true. You know, it's all, we're all, we're all one. 
Right. Basically. Yeah, I don't even know who the strongest member is acting wise. I guess. I would say probably Agnes Tower. Yeah, I would say the I same. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that Jeremy Piven was playing Mr. Selfridge, I mean, it's basically her show. Right. I mean, she's definitely, you know, second lead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll yeah. see if well, that sure. changes. But uh, at any rate, look, we love the show. Yes. It's great. It has many fine qualities, some of which are uh, better than Downton Abbey. Yeah. Well, and, you know, so if we want to answer this question, let us look more closely at Mr. Selfridge. We open on a rainy churchyard with a priest saying ashes to ashes, dust to dust, at all. Etc. At all. <laughs> right. It's Latin. Uh, although, is he speaking in Latin? No, he's not speaking okay. Latin. It's very, yeah. I would assume he's a Church of England guy. Yeah. Super Anglican. Uh, yeah, they don't, the Selfridges don't well, seem like a Catholic family. Right. Despite their many children. <laughs> right. Yeah, I assume they're, yeah, I guess I assume they're probably Episcopal yeah, in, in I Chicago. Would think. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, or, you know, they could have been anything. Yeah, that's, Protestants are a lot more chill. <laughs> was sort of like bouncing around between like, denominations. Hey, can we can buy your church. You could baby bear our wife. Yeah, that's cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, who we're assuming is Rosalie. Right. Walks up uh, to a grave and says, goodbye, Ma, and throws some flowers into the grave. Yeah. Uh, well, the kids all have a single white rose. Mm-hmm. And so Violette and Beatrice, we're not sure which, which, is which. one is which yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we couldn't look directly at either one. <laughs> Less. For fear of the mark of the beast upon us. <laughs> Finally, a complete stranger does so. Huh. Nope. Never mind. It's just new, new Gordon. That's right. Uh, who's the same as old Gordon, but now with mustache. Yeah, which rendered him unrecognizable to me. Too, yeah, too Tom. Yeah. I knew it was the same yeah. actor. Kelly but... was not fooled for a second. Yeah. You know, it had also been a while since I'd seen. Yes. Well, I mean, look, that's his, that's new, new Gordon's plan. Yeah. You know, he wants to be a new man, a man Pa can respect. <laughs> oh, son, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, finally, Harry a.k.a. Piven, yeah. uh, comes up to the gravesite all weepy-eyed and asks his ma how he will live without Rose. He says, goodbye, my darling. Uh, ma says he'll find a way. Uh, then we jarringly jump to... <laughs> and I'm right. like, we could have maybe had a slightly more tasteful... Well, and and I don't... Look, I don't quite... I don't know. We're going to do a time jump to nine months later after the credits. Yeah. And I'm just not sure that it makes that much of a difference that they put this before the credits. Like, I understand completely the reasoning and logic for it. Yeah. However, I mean, the theme song (laughs) is so jaunty. I mean, that's all it comes... I like everything about it makes sense except the clash with the theme song. I mean, like, that was going to happen anyway. But, I mean, you could have, like, a mournful thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so that means, uh, unfortunately, this season we're without Francis O'Connor. Yeah. Who actually, now that we think about it, probably had the strongest acting performance. Right. I think of she any, did. I mean, she was a movie actress. Uh, right. I mean, I suppose Jeremy Piven technically is a movie <laughs> actor, but he's mostly well, an entourage they, actor. I was going to say, once the entourage movie comes out, bro. I am really excited about that. <laughs> like, we're seeing that opening weekend. Oh, my God. I recognize that that's inflating numbers for something that I'm, like, antithetically opposed to. Right. 
like an all white, all hetero, all cis male cast banging chicks and being terrible. Yeah. But God damn it. If I did not love the first like two and a half seasons of Entourage, it had eight seasons. Did you know that? I knew it kept seeming to be around. I found out today because today they canceled looking on HBO and I did a thing. I was like, Oh, I wonder how long, cause like looking is basically Entourage, but like more like, huh? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also they're gay. Well, yeah, but it's very, like, indie film, whereas Entourage was just, like, you know, Rockstar Energy Drink commercial (laughs) all the time. Uh, Let's go snowboarding. Yeah! Freeze frame! That's really, when I think of Entourage, I think of that snowboarding freeze frame. Right. Right after they found out that Vince was going to play Aquaman. (laughs) Kelly. (laughs) No, Aquaman is a real movie! I know. Kelly, to speak of Entourage, it's to speak of snowboarding. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Right. uh, So the point is... Frances O'Connor, she's dead. Bummer. Yeah. I wonder how Roddy the Rat's taking it. Honestly. Yeah, I'm sure he's doing great. Uh, Yeah, I'm surprised at how small the funeral is. Yeah. I I don't know. It it would be like a very like showman thing for Harry to do to throw her like a circus of a funeral though. Right. And she never seemed like a public person. No, she She wasn't particularly. She never seemed to enjoy being out in society. Yeah. And like... Yeah, so I mean, once you, like, who were, you know, her friends that we ever saw? I mean, really? Lady May. Right. Who, spoiler alert. Yeah. Nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen at all. And we don't know why. Which is troubling. It is troubling because Lady May, severe part of the glue that holds this shit together. Absolutely. Yeah. She's a highlight. Like, are we and... being abandoned to the Polly Walkers of the world at this point? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm on board with that yeah. eyeliner. Like, yeah. that's not a cool move. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, Lady May, um, Harry's ma. Right. I mean, you know, Polly Walker. Right. Until Polly Walker <laughs> randomly decided that she needed to be nailing it. Right. With Harry. She was crazy. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, you know, Roddy the Rat Temple. <laughs> yeah, and his bohemian friends. That yeah. didn't work out for no, her. No, didn't work out at all. So anyway, I mean, you know, it's hard, you know, maybe there is or was a more public you know, memorial or something like Possibly. that. But well, and I'm also certain there was, I mean, when you think about it too, she probably, like her friends' friends from college and childhood are Would all Would have in been Chicago. in Chicago, yeah. yeah. Oh, so she's being buried in England. Wow. Yeah. This is why I never move anywhere. <laughs> Except for here. Right. We we, we kind of did do we that. We did do that. But right. I'm perfectly fine being buried here. Yeah. You know, it's still America, damn it. Yeah. One nation under God and well, so Well, you know, forth. all my relatives are back in Ohio. I don't want them coming around, <laughs> you know, cluttering up the joint. Yeah. Rummaging through our things. <laughs> I do have an Uncle Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Loves drapes. <laughs> so, anyway, all this said... Nine months later, we learn, is, uh, where everything else is happening. And this, it, and so it's not clear exactly what the time frame is relative to the end of the last series because, you know, Rose had just been diagnosed with her lungitis. Yeah, that's true. So it, it you know, we don't know how long it took that to progress. Uh, you well, know. doesn't it say 1919? I'm pretty sure there was a. Oh, was there? Yeah. Okay. There was some well, kind that, of. Well, that fits in with. The right, other because things. the war is over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but again, I don't rem- Well, the war had just. No, the war was going on. Yeah, the war was still going on. Well, anyway, okay, well, look, sure. it is now 1919. I think then... It has been between nine months and, say, two years since the end of... Well, because no, World War One started in 1914. Right. 
And so we would have only been up through maybe like 1915. Oh, yeah. So it's been about four years, I think. Oh, I guess so. So, right. you know, it took her apparently possibly four years yeah um to die well and it's uh you know and speaking of the question of downton versus selfridge i mean downton would never kill a major character like this if they could avoid it which you know that's also true granted well, in and this we case, see that through the rest of this episode right. uh people are unexpectedly dead yes as we will see yeah. uh rose was expectedly dead because she is you know a historical figure who did in fact die of lungitis right. it is legit lungitis i don't know if we ever talked about this uh-huh because it could have been construed as a spoiler for this very event. Right. But that was literally her diagnosis. Uh-huh. Which we did not know. No. When we were making fun of her <laughs> diagnosis. Right. And not knowing what it was and yeah. calling it lungitis. Yeah. So uh, points to you, Eyeliner. Yeah. You, you win, showed us. You win this round. I win every round. <laughs> Except against that dastardly Baron Fellows. <laughs> In case you're wondering, Eyeliner is the producer of this show. Yes. Uh, who presumably has a name. It's Andrew something. Davies? Yes. I, I think, think so. I think it's Andrew Davies. I feel pretty sure. Anyway, he wears a lot of eyeliner. Look, somebody, the one time we ever saw gonna him. going to correct us. The one time we ever saw him, he was wearing a lot of eyeliner, and that was it as far as we were concerned. He's an old dude, and he wrote everything you've ever liked. Like <laughs> yeah. that, look no, him up on IMDb. Yeah. That dude, he did uh, The Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. Mm-hmm. He's done everything. Yeah. Like, he has had his hands in damn near every British thing that you like. Right. That's absolutely true. He's actually the Kevin Bacon of the UK. <laughs> yeah. Six degrees of eyeliner. He's kind of like... They never actually work together, but I think of him as like the Steven Spielberg to Baron Fellows' George Lucas. Like, Baron Fellows has done this, like, one big, huge thing Mm -hmm. that's slowly becoming a parody of itself. (laughs) 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 Yeah, and uh, Gosford Park was his American graffiti. Oh, right. Yeah, there you go. Case closed. That's a really astute analogy, Tom. Thank you. If there were podcasting awards for most astute analogy, <laughs> you would be a finalist. Oh, thanks. You wouldn't win, though. No, I'm sure I wouldn't. Chris Hardwick would win. I know. He always wins. He does. He wins everything. Well, he funded the awards. <sighs> He's the Twitter of people. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. All right, so we got newsreel footage. Uh, which is popular on this show, and it's of Harry flying back from a successful shopping trip to the Emerald Isle uh, in Newsreel. Because, you know, that bastion of <laughs> consumer-driven shopping Ireland. Right. World War One era Ireland, full of disposable income. And bombs. <laughs> right. Don't forget the bombs. <laughs> yeah, also lots of that. In any case, the picture fades into reality of Harry landing. Back to life. Back to reality and yeah. <laughs> new Gordon and his new mustache. Right. Both are present, as are a bunch of, uh, you know, newsmen. Uh, so who all run up as Harry gets off the plane and he says that Brown Thomas is now part of his empire, which I assume... That sounds racist. <laughs> it may well have been. Was it like the Uncle Ben's of the retail world? I don't think we can rule that out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another of the reporters shows him a report indicating that Harry is planning to buy land for an aerodrome. And he says that that is pure speculation, although aviation is the future. Uh, and But he has a wedding to attend. And uh, then the reporters start asking Nunu Gordon what he thinks. And he says that, you know, he's proud of his dad. And, uh, you they know, drive, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's like that thing in, in Apollo 13 where the wives are like, you know, we're very uh, scared, very proud. Mm-hmm. It's the same response. Yeah, We see uh, Mr. Crab and Mr. Grove. 
walking in front of Selfridges, and then Mr. Crab is complaining that they've never closed on a weekday before. Mr. Grove says it's a special occasion and the customers will come back, which, yeah, doy. Like, <laughs> Crab is very worked up. At the, wait a minute. At the oh, okay, they never closed on a weekday, so I guess he's excluding holidays. I'm like, are you not closed on Christmas? Right. Like, even at this, like, especially now. Well, yeah. Um. Oh, God, they all probably get Sundays off, don't they? Probably. God damn it. <laughs> I hope, look, if you're still in retail and you're listening to this, start a fucking union. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Mr. Crab continues complaining uh, during a shot that's actually very impressive. It pans yes. uh, up to the roof of Selfridges and shows a lot of CGI London around, which for this show is really, you know, ambitious yeah. and they pull it off. Yeah, I was struck. On the roof, uh, Agnes Towler is going over some plans and correcting somebody putting flowers in the wrong place. Downstairs, Mr. Crab is still complaining as they reach the elevator, which Plunkett comes out of. Plunkett! Yes. Uh, she comes out saying, the peacocks have arrived. <laughs> and we're like, what? Yeah. She's just got peacocks <laughs> She is super excited. I mean, look, she's very plain. This is as exciting <laughs> as her life gets. <laughs> this is her Super Bowl. <laughs> So cut to a peacock in the loading bay, which is, I think, a, should be a new children's book available exclusively at Selfridges. <laughs> a peacock in the loading bay. Uh, George tells some guy to pick up the peacock, but he refuses. And then the artful porter. The artful porter! Right, she's she, still around! She is. She shoulders up and tells him not to be lily-livered and rolls up her sleeves, because it's peacock hunting time. <laughs> pick up that peacock! <laughs> you pansy! Are you propositioning me? No! <laughs> Very well. Mr. Crab is still complaining to Grove, <laughs> and he says that Harry's hardly been in the store, and there's all these new acquisitions. Mr. Grove says that it's his way of coping, and he finally has something to celebrate with this wedding. And then Mr. Crab has to admit that it looks rather wonderful, which it does. Yeah. I mean, it must be nice having a visual merchandiser to, like, completely yeah. trick out your daughter's wedding. Right. That that must in fact. Well, and you know, I'm sure he spared no expense. Oh yeah. So I mean, he sprung for peacocks. Truth. I have no I idea know how much is going to happen to those peacocks after this wedding. <laughs> oh, they'll be fine. They're going out to this farm in the country where a little boy will play with them every day. Mm, why does it have to be a boy? Uh boys love peacocks. They do not, Tom. <laughs> peacocks Just love ask boys. NBC. <laughs> <laughs> peacocks love boys. Is this an episode of Looking? No, to play with and frolic. Mm. Anyway. This keeps getting worse. It does. Let's move on. So we see a telegraph boy pulling up to Martle House. Martle answers the door, and it is a telegram for Agnes. Which I immediately thought meant George Towler was dead. Right. Even though the war is over. Yeah. And we just saw him. Yeah. We did. <laughs> uh, but I still thought... <laughs> no, I understand. No, I, like, who knows what that peacock is capable of? <laughs> it's a monster, I tell you. A monster. He was killed by a peacock. In France... No, in London, but they notified his unit back in France, and well, here we are. It's all very complicated. <laughs> we see Kitty doing her makeup when Mustache comes up from behind to kiss her and says, You look corking, Mrs. Edwards. <gasps> what? They are so married, guys. Oh my God. They got soups married, yeah. which I'm excited about. Yeah. Like, they're a match for each other. They really know? are. They're very well suited. They are extremely well suited and both ginger, so there'll be no <laughs> question of who the parents are. Uh, so she thanks him, and then they start to kiss when some rando yeah. runs in saying she needs money for the bus. Mustache exasperatedly says she should knock, and then Kitty says that uh, George Towler says that whoever she is has been mouthing off. She says they've got... Oh, the the rando says right. they've got ex-servicemen back in the loading bay. They don't know where anything is. 
Mustache says to give them a chance. Kitty tells her, and her name is Connie, yes. apparently, to button her lip. She says, you won't get anywhere if people don't like you, <laughs> uh, which Kitty would know about. Right. And then Connie says, Kitty has done all right. I just stole her thunder. Yeah, but. you did. Well, she. you know what? Screw Connie. Yeah, I don't like her. Yeah. Uh, Kitty starts to snap at her, but Connie takes the money and runs. Mustache. Who's also got a bit of a beard working I'm now. I'm not sure like how a, I feel about... A jawline beard. I don't know how yeah. I feel. Like a, like, a, like a rapist beard? I, I mean, I wouldn't put it that way, okay. but yeah. We know the one like where it's like edged... Where it's like just that thin line around well, it's the not, face. It's not, as, it's not as like neat as okay. that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll deal with his facial hair at a later date. But he says, your little sister is a troublemaker. He asks when she's moving out. Kitty says soon. So that was some clunky exposition. Uh, there's a lot of exposition in this episode, unavoidably. Yeah. And it's, you know, some of it's clunky, some of it's all right. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Fraser welcomes Harry back. And Harry heads upstairs, passing Violette, who says that Rosalie's stockings have run. And we hear Rosalie in the background, like, bridezilla-ing about her stockings. It's like a kinder, gentler pat <laughs> It is. Uh, Beatrice goes by. She asks Harry how she looks. And then snakes shoot out of her head. <laughs> and her eyes glow red. Right. Well, he says she looks great, which she doesn't. But he's, no, you know, he's not going to cross Beatrice. You don't want to ever tell... Look, people on weddings... Women in weddings especially are being forced to wear something they would never wear. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Of course he wouldn't say that. Uh, not just because she's a demon. <laughs> Demons have feelings, too. <laughs> Do they? That's a theological question. Uh, look, Tom, let's get a demon on this podcast, <laughs> and then we can discuss. Keep trying. They're very in demand. Ma asks, after Harry's trip, he says he now owns 12 department stores. Uh, Ma says, that's great. Maybe now get ready for your daughter's wedding. Right? Like, how could you even be somewhere and then get back the morning of your daughter's wedding? Right. Like, not that my dad did anything the day of our wedding. I don't even think that's true. I feel like he did something. I, I, I think know. he drove the conversion van that we used instead of a limo. I think you're right. Um. Anyway, but he was around, you know? Yeah. He didn't know. There yeah. might have been something for him to do. Yeah. Back at Selfridge's, a Selfridge doorman says he hasn't seen Miss Martle for a while. Nobody sees Martle. Not nobody, not know how. Well, she's got that great house. Yeah. She says she's been on leave and she has a telegram from Miss Towler and can he let her in even though the store is closed that day. Right. And he's like, oh, get on in. <laughs> you. I've been letting everybody in all day. I didn't know we were closed. I'm drunk. <laughs> Connie runs into the loading bay where the scared of peacocks guy says that she's late and should have her pay docked. Uh, but then the artful porter makes fun of him for being scared of peacocks, which is fair. Scared of peacocks guy says that they shouldn't even be there taking soldiers jobs. <laughs> right. The artful porter says that she was there all through the war and they get to shove in each other as George tells them to stop. And then Grove comes in and asks what's going on. And everybody's like, oh shit, the principal's here. Mm -hmm. Like, and chill out. Uh, but George says that the women and the men can't get on and it's making his life hell. Uh, you know, this is a great rich vein here. Yeah. This is uh, a reality that always happens. Mm -hmm. It always, always happens. You know, men go away to war. Women finally assume their rightful place running everything. <laughs> yeah. And then the men come back and they're like, me, but we went and fought a morally suspect war. <laughs> me. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, war, man. War. Upstairs, Artful Porter and the Scared of Peacocks guy are bringing up cases of vodka. And we're like, 
vodka. Like vodka. This is a bit much for England. Yeah, like, is this a wedding or a fraternity? Like, what's going on? It might be both. We don't know. Mr. Grove follows, and Mr. Crabb asks what Harry could want vodka for, echoing our thoughts. (laughs) Agnes announces that the peacocks have arrived, and Mr. Crabb goes over to see. Miss Myrtle walks up, and Mr. Grove says, hey. Miss Myrtle asks after his leg. Apparently, he was wounded in France, uh, so he did go and fight. Yeah. Uh, but his leg has healed. He says that he was sorry to hear about Florian. No! Florian! Yeah. Florian's dead, y'all. Yeah. He will never play his beautiful sexual violin again. I know. I'm bummed. I'm bummed too. I'm super bummed. It was so great. I know. He was awesome. Yeah. The relationship was so cool. It was how Myrtle got her groove back. I know. R.I.P. Florian. Yeah. Let's go drink a quart of vodka in your honor. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Miss Myrtle thanks uh, Mr. Grove for his letter. Apparently, Mr. Grove found out that Florian had died, and he wrote Miss Myrtle a nice letter. Right. So he asks after her employment situation, and she's like, uh, dude, we can talk about this not on the day of Mr. Selfridge's daughter's wedding. I just got the telegram for Agnes. Right. So Agnes thought they were meeting up later at the church. But Miss Myrtle hands over the telegram because it's from France. Agnes opens it and says Henri's on his way to London. Hooray! I know, he's not dead, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, but it says that he has been discharged from hospital, which everyone is mystified by. Right. Because no. nobody knew he was in hospital. No. Or as they say in France, hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless. Thank you. Or should I say, merci. <laughs> Bidet. <laughs> This is great. We see Harry putting on a tie in contemplative fashion. Uh, it's the only way he puts on ties, Tom. <laughs> That's when he does all his best thinking. No, you're actually right. Which is mostly just nailing it. <laughs> God, this tie's awesome. Rosalie walks in wearing her wedding dress, and he adores it and the person in it. Rosalie says she knows the day will be hard for him, uh, but Harry says that Rose would have been happy and proud to see Rosalie getting married. She says that she's nervous, and Harry says that that's normal. It's the biggest decision of her life, which does not comfort Rosalie. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, okay, finish this scene, and then we can talk about wedding day doubts and hopefully save somebody some money and trouble. Yeah, so Harry's like, oh, you seem unsure. She asks if she, he asks if she loves him, and she says, of course she does, because he reminds her of Harry. Uh, you mean world's worst husband, Harry Selfridge? Yeah. Harry's like, uh, that's maybe not the best sign. No, and I mean, it's to Harry's credit that he is self-aware. Yeah, yeah. And we've discussed many times that the problems in their marriage could have been worked out if, I don't know if if they'd been at a different time, but it's just like there, you know, there was this... And there is still, like, a fundamental, like, he seems to be somebody who, like, wants to have a lot of sex with a lot of different partners. Seems that way. And she mostly didn't. Right. Except for Roddy the Rat that time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Although I was, like, when this marriage thing happened, I was like, oh, my God, did Rose die? And now Rosalie's marrying fucking Roddy the Rat. (laughs) Like, (laughs) up is down, black is white. Roddy the Rat is marrying into the Selfridge family. That would have been a surprise. It would have been horrible. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but like they were both, he and Rose were both so tortured by the whole thing. You know, it was just, it was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, Yeah, but no, Rosalie says that Harry's the best father in the world, which... He's not. A, he's not. B, granted that, still doesn't necessarily make him the best husband in the world. No. 
So anyway, to sum up, no red flags at all. Yeah, this seems like a great idea. Right. Uh, we're at a cathedral. Bells are ringing. Crowds are cheering. Oh, wait. I did want to say. Yes. Yeah. Day of your marriage. You shouldn't be bummed out, y'all. Yeah. Like, I was, like, nervous and worried. But then, like, I saw you. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of people don't let you see. I mean, that's the tradition. Is you right. Don't see yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other person before the wedding, which is dumb. Because if I hadn't done that, I might not have felt okay. Yeah. About marrying you. Yeah. And then run screaming down the aisle. <laughs> which is not a good look at a wedding. Oh, Unless that, it's like a zombie themed nah, wedding. No, nah, dude, I would have pulled it off. <laughs> I would have looked fucking great. Oh, well, all right then. Um, no, but like I saw you and I was like, oh, right. It's yeah. just my best friend. Yeah. NBD. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you should be excited to marry someone. You should be. And happy and not at all trouble. Like if you yeah. are at all troubled yeah. at any point, you need to like put the brakes on and say, maybe this is not correct. Yeah. You need to think that troubledness through. Can you even imagine though how many people just go through with it because the cake alone costs like $3,000? Yeah. Like people can eat that cake. <laughs> you know, you can right. always find somebody, you can sell that cake. Yeah. I would look if somebody was just selling wedding cake, like if I just went on Craigslist and it was like wedding cake for sale, I'd be like, where and when? <laughs> Give me that cake. Because uh, wedding cake is the best cake. Well, I'll start working on an app. Uh, actually, I was going to do that for a comedy hack day once, but yeah. then I didn't show up because it was raining. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, back to the cathedral, not where the cake is. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of old rich people walking in. New, new Gordon shows Mr. Grove to his seat where Mrs. Crab and Doris are waiting. Uh, Doris! Yes. Original Doris. Original classic. Doris classic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Doris classic is there. And uh, Mr. Grove asks Doris not to fuss. She didn't seem like she was super fussy. Yes. Well. Also, you know she's not a baby, right? I mean, like, compared to Miss Martle, sure. Look, the Grove-Doris relationship seems to be what we all kind of thought it would be, which is a little troubling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy, there is a couple who could have stood to step back and be like, um, hold on. Yeah. Maybe this is not a great idea. Yeah. Although I'll say this, Doris never had any doubts. Well, Doris knew what she wanted. Yeah. Mr. Grove fucked up his whole life. He did. Yeah. Like, before her. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what his wife's situation was. Sure. But, like, anyway. And yeah, he yeah, already yeah. was not living the life he wanted to lead. True. So, Agnes and Miss Myrtle come, and they sit down behind Mr. Grove, and, you know, Doris says hi to Miss Myrtle in such a way that I thought mm-hmm. that Doris, you know, has, has gotten hep to that situation right no, there and was i mean you know and a... i don't know like even if they have a not great relationship it's entirely possible that he like laid that on her at some point oh yeah i mean for sure i mean he got shot in the leg during the war you'd think that would probably make you like real you know yeah. chatty <laughs> yeah <laughs> also where are, where's who's watching their 17 children that they have <laughs> excellent question i mean everyone he knows is at this wedding <laughs> yeah They put him in the peacock cage. Ma walks in arm in arm with a stranger to us wearing a hat that makes her look like some kind of chess piece. (laughs) Uh, And the stranger is enthusiastically and non-Englishly greeting people. Yes. Doris exposits that, and this is super clunky exposition, uh, that she is Princess Marie, the groom's mother. 
Russian aristocracy and then adds that, oh, and there's Sergei Debolotov, the famous aviator, because until this moment, all the attendees of this wedding did not know who the groom was, apparently. To be fair, she's only talking to Mr. Grove, and this does seem like the kind of thing Mr. <laughs> Grove would not know. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, she also say, says that they say that Sergei is a bit of a playboy. Which, again, uh, no flags. Yeah, none. Nothing. If there were, it would only be, you know, checkered. <laughs> right. Victory lap. That's Go, right. Rosalie. <laughs> Grove says that Mrs. Grove does like to read the gossip columns. Uh, who doesn't? Right? I don't care. Like, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of gossip columns. Like, whether you're into sports or whether you're into movie stars mm-hmm. or, you know, authors, although those are much more boring. Russian aviators. Yeah. Like, whatever. Like, everybody loves the gossip columns. That's why they keep having them. Right. It's the new Gawker site, Wingspan. All <laughs> aviator gossip. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen. <laughs> it may have. There's more cheering and photographing outside. Uh, fake Doris. Yes. Oh. The two Dorises, they're too close. Oh, no, I know. Time and space as we know it is going to rent in two. I mean, it's just a good thing fake Doris got kept outside. <sighs> Truth. Yeah. Uh, so she and a friend admire Rosalie's dress, which apparently came from Lady May's fashion house in Paris. I'm curious which one. Also, where the fuck is Lady May? Right. Honestly, she should have been there doing the, like, parenting yeah. that morning. No, you're right. Because she could have laid some serious fucking wisdom on Rosalie. She definitely About could have. marrying a dude you're not totes sure about. Yeah. We see Harry with Rosalie and he asks if she's ready. She says yes and they walk down the aisle. Uh, when they get up to the front of the church, Harry tells Sergei to look after her. He says he will and then smirks at the minister. Yeah. Which is like, are you guys running some kind of scam here? Is this some sort of... <laughs> Church approved uh, <laughs> bilking of a local merchant. Uh, like most marriages. Agnes is watching with all the enthusiasm you would expect of somebody at their boss's daughter's wedding. Right. When somebody comes up beside her in a blue uniform. <gasps> so we guess before we see it's Monsieur Leclerc. Yeah. Uh, they smile big at each other and tear up and we're all clutching each other on the couch and whatnot. Right. Because uh, love them. Yeah. We see a railway station and hear ominous music playing it's the lizard <gasps> yeah what's he doing here yeah lord loxley uh, what he's doing is angrily throwing a newspaper away because it mentions mr selfridge and i'm like uh it mentions the wedding right in the top left corner yes which is where you put the most important story of the day <laughs> not the fluff piece <laughs> about the retail giant's daughter getting married right that seems like a more lower right corner yeah that's bottom right situation but that's where it was and i'm like dude lord loxley if you throw away every paper that mentions selfridge on the front page you were gonna miss a lot of news uh he don't care apparently not Agnes and Monsieur Leclerc walk into Selfridge's after the wedding. Right. Uh, she can't believe he's there. She asks why he was in the hospital, and he says, they just wanted to make sure it was all right. Uh, what, like your dick? Because that's the only acceptable answer. <laughs> Agnes asks what he means, and he says it doesn't matter. He just wants to think about Agnes. Uh, so he clearly has PTSD. He's definitely got PTSD. Like, this is obvious. Yeah. Uh, this is not good. Right. Also, we saw the previews for this season, and it was pretty clear well, from those yeah, fair that enough. he was going to have PTSD. Yeah. Jazz! Jazz! <laughs> Fat Thomas watches a jazz band in an empty club. Empty, that is, except for the woman with the dramatic haircut who is standing next to him. 
Uh, Haircut says that the band is good. Fat Thomas says that people like a bit of edge. Like, wow, my God, this was edgy back then. Uh, the entire band is black. True enough. And I think Haircut is black. I can't tell. Well, I mean, we only see her inside the club, right. first of all. So she's never well lit. Well, but I mean, I think this is eyeliner, you know, giving a bit of the old finger to Baron Fellows. That, I think, is certainly possible. Instead of having, you know, a deus ex black enough <laughs> in Jack Ross, right. this haircut looks like she's going to be an actual character. She does. Who may be romantically involved with Fat Thomas. Yeah. We don't that, find out by the end of this episode, but yeah. she seems... They're clearly partners of some regard in, the, in terms of running this club. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, beyond that, we can't say. It is, yeah, it is impossible to know. <laughs> right. So Fat Thomas asks the band leader what they charge. He says 125 pounds a week. Fat Thomas uh, offers 100 pounds a week plus a 10% bonus after three months. The guy agrees, and they go off to Fat Thomas's office. We hear more ominous music, signaling the arrival of a guy who greets Miss Simmons. So that's haircut. Ah, haircut Simmons. Yes. Of the follicle Simmonses. <laughs> She says, always a pleasure, Inspector. And Inspector says to remind Fat Thomas that the first of the month is coming up. Then he's like, and I'm Chavelle. <laughs> Do not forget my rent. How we gonna pay? Wrong musical, Tom. Well, they're both relevant. No, they're not. You can't reference Les Mis and Rent in the same sentence. Why not? It makes Stephen Sondheim cry. <laughs> He suffered enough. <laughs> yes. He lived through the AIDS epidemic, Tom. He lived through that and didn't even write a self-indulgent musical about it. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it is a good point. God bless you, sir. There is no God, says yeah. Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> it's in all his musicals. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you make a good point. At the reception, Harry introduces Kitty to the princess. So the princess is the mother of the groom. Yes. Uh, played by Zoe Wanamaker, who is Professor... The one that teaches them to fly their brooms okay. in Harry Potter. I forget what her name is. As do I. But anyway, it's exciting to see her doing this. Sure. Uh, the princess says she'll come into the store and try out Kitty's products. So, interesting... Kitty still working at Selfridges despite yes. being married and still in an you know in an advanced position. Yes, which yeah. is very exciting. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. We're thrilled about this. Yeah, because unlike old fuddy-duddy Doris Classic, right? Who quit? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry then introduces Mustache and the Princess, and the Princess says she's read uh, Edwards's book. Yeah. Uh, which he's, of course, very flattered in a mustachian way. <laughs> and Harry says that Princess Marie was distantly related to a founding father of Russia, which, which I don't understand. And I, look, I'm not a Russian history expert by any means, but I just I, I don't know who's the founding father of Russia or a. Um, I think it's probably because you don't know anything about Russia. Well, I've been looking into it. I mean, you could say, you know, Ivan the third. But, I mean, it all sort of coalesced out of, you know, going back to, like, prehistoric times. Yeah, but, I mean, I would think it would be, you know, whoever established the monarchy in this context right. at this time. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be like, oh, you know, the salt of the earth people made Russia what it is as, <laughs> you know, from most of these people's, you know, opinions. Yeah. Not, uh, not a good thing. Uh, as the princess says, she was hounded out of Russia by Bolsheviks. Hounded is a very uh, benign term <laughs> for what I assume happened. 
And uh, she says that Mustache should write about her. It would be a very big book. And I have to say, I admire her moxie and her networking skills. That she, She's got moxie, mm-hmm. no doubt. Down the line, Sergei greets some pretty women with unseemly enthusiasm. Yeah, at his own wedding. Yeah. Like, say what you will about Harry. Right. He at least is discreet. Yeah. You know, he was like, here, Ellen Love, here's this apartment you can be in. Yeah. And she was like, oh, great, we're getting married. And he was like, nah, bitch. But I'm crazy now. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ellen Love. So Rosalie is right there, not thrilled, and Sergei introduces these women to Rosalie. Uh, one of them asks, who could be brave enough to take Sergei on? Which again, Rosalie, have you been high <laughs> the whole time? Right. Although, I mean, I know we talk about this a bit later, but it's like she met him after Rose had died. Yeah. And you probs should not marry anybody for up until like a year after a parent has died. I think that's probably like, true. I think, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Specifically, if you're as close to your parent as Rosalie was to Rose. Right. You gotta, you gotta protect yourself, you mm-hmm. know? But, uh, sadly, Rosalie did not have that advice. Uh, so the women can continue on down to Harry. The princess introduces them as the daughters of the Viscount of Arden. Which sounds made up. Yes, it does. Uh, did they just like flip open the complete works of Shakespeare <laughs> and pick out a fake kingdom? It kind of seems yeah. that way. Uh, but in any case, she calls over, uh, she calls Harry's divine son over to join the crew and Violette tags along and introduces herself as the divine daughter. She was the baby suffragist, remember? Yes. Uh, so thing one of these two girls asks Nunu Gordon if he dances and he's like, duh. Yeah. Did that mustache take all of your brain power, Gordon? <laughs> right. Is this the first time you've been posed that question Also, I guess ever? he's not dating fake Doris because uh, uh, otherwise she would have been at that wedding. Yeah, that's a good point. So anyway, Harry's like, uh, why don't you go get these women refreshments? I hope I can get you married someday, you weirdo. Uh, the princess says that Harry could marry him very well and offers to throw parties for him. She loves throwing parties. Who doesn't? Well, right. Uh, Leclerc and Agnes come in and Harry excitedly greets Leclerc and welcomes him back. Yeah, and I think the girls, uh, tell Gordon that, like, they're very short on men at the Deb's balls. Mm. So he should come to those. Right. Well, that makes sense. At Loxley House, Loxley's on the phone, uh, still no sign of Lady May, Mm -hmm. and he asks Edgerton, of the famous uh, Edgerton from before. Yeah. (laughs) uh, (laughs) He was the gay guy. Right. Uh, He asks Edgerton if he's got what he asked for and tells him to bring it to the club now. Like, you're awfully fucking demanding for somebody who just got out of prison. Right. The reception, Leclerc says that he's sorry about Rose, and Harry says it's been hard for all of them, but things can only get better from here. Uh, Crab comes up to say, hey, uh, Harry, here's women laughing with Sergey, who then comes over and thanks Harry for the show he's put on. Uh, pro tip, guys. Don't refer to your wedding reception as a show. Yeah. Even if you agree. Like, right. Yeah. Gross. So Sergey says he's been telling some guy about their business venture and that says that they just need the aerodrome to get things started. And Crab is overhearing all of this. Sergey says the aerodrome will be in Acton. And Harry says that this is not a discussion for now. He asks where Rosalie is. Sergey has no idea and no particular interest in his wife's location. Like, also, 
Was the whole family asleep on this? It seems that way. Like, how is the grandma going to let this happen? Right. Like, get your shit together. Yeah, ma. Ugh. The Violette, who had wandered by the conversation, volunteers to go find her. Uh, oh, and I'll note here, new Rosalie and new Violette are played by real-life sisters. Huh. Which you can really see in their faces. Uh, good job, English agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Crab takes a swig of alcohol. Mrs. Crab. Uh, this is a, like the third actress they've had playing Mrs. Crab, by the way. Uh, maybe he's just a player. I doubt it. <laughs> he seems real boring. <laughs> he's like you, Poindexter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mrs. Crab says it's not like him to be drinking, and Mr. Crab says he can't believe what he heard about acting and commercial air travel. He is so flustered all the time. Uh, look, man, that's why Harry keeps him around. Yeah. Look, Harry is missing the part of his brain that's concerned about anything. <laughs> that's a good so, point. So, Mr. Crab, who is missing the part of his brain that can never be optimistic about anything. What a perfect pair. <laughs> and then they got Mr. Grove to be the superego. It's great. Yeah. No, you're right. Off in some side area, Violette finds Rosalie sitting alone. She says that she's taking a moment to reflect on the life of misery ahead of her. <laughs> She says it's a bit much having her wedding, her wedding party on top of Pa's world. And Violette says that she should have said so if she wanted it to be at home. But Rosalie says that Pa wanted it at the store. Violette says that she has to stand up for what she wants as they again hear the familiar sound of Sergei and some women laughing together. Violette says, don't let Sergei play you like Pa played Ma, which... Mm-hmm. But Rosalie like doesn't even let her finish and says, spare me the advice, says that Violette's never been in love with a man, and it's not as simple as you think. Uh, all right. Look, Rosalie, we've all had some big dick <laughs> that we did some stuff for that maybe we're not soups proud of, okay? Mm-hmm. But, like, don't marry the big dick that treats you bad. Yeah. Like, that's for fun, okay? <laughs> right. That's for playtime. When you're looking at marrying somebody, combining your finances and your family uh don't go with the dude who is completely ignoring you at your own wedding yeah i just i don't understand and this is clearly not unusual behavior right so again literally everybody fell down on this yeah i don't understand why they just let her do this because it's not like she's ever been a strong personality right she hasn't been but i mean this guy is a strong personality he saw an opening when none of the family was in a position to really like pay attention to what was going on and they were you know weakened by grief and he saw a chance and he went for it what a monster a creed well, this is again, too, I mean, less so than it would have been a generation earlier. But I mean, how much time do they actually spend together? Yeah, that's true. Uh, clearly not as much time as he's spent with the daughters of Arden. Yeah. <laughs> Monsieur Leclerc is holding Agnes and he says they're going to do all this, though he might need some time to get the money together. Uh, Agnes says she doesn't care about any of this. She just wants to be his wife. She says that they've read the bands at the church, uh, which was a thing that people had to do. It was, yes. Which is so fucking weird. It is. If you don't know, reading the bands means you have to go to the church you plan to be married in. And there were rules stipulating which churches you could go to. Usually it had to be a church in your community that you went to. Right. um, Or you had to go and like get a special dispensation from a church in a neighboring parish if you wanted to have your wedding there for some sentimental reason or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had to announce to the public essentially that you planned to get married. And this was to like dissuade people from eloping. I mean, and pretty effectively because you really couldn't 
elope. Right. You couldn't elope. I mean, yeah, it was making sure that anybody in the community that had a powerful objection would be able to stop you. I mean, you know, things like, you know, bigamy and things like that were also a concern. Uh, Being a dick, though, fortunately for Sarahgate, not a problem. Yeah. Uh, At any rate, so they've already read the bans and they could get married at any time. Yeah. In the club... Edgerton sitting with Loxley. Look, guys, this is really funny because what Tom's written here is in the club. Yeah. Uh, we're extremely white. Therefore, it is hilarious. <laughs> that That is the joke there. Yeah. Uh, as are Edgerton and Loxley, by the way. Oh, yeah. They're, they're whiter, whiter than, than us. Than, yeah. We and live we're, in Oakland. I mean, we sunburn easily. <laughs> They've never seen the sun. That's also true. No wonder he looks like a lizard. Yeah. So they're reading the paper and discussing that uh, Selfridges has been hurt by the war, but less than most department stores. Uh, But Harry did have to sell some shares in 1916 and no longer is sole owner. Loxley asks Edgerton about Harry's personal finances. Edgerton says that that is not information he's privy to. And so apparently the thing that Edgerton brought appears to just be a bunch of newspaper clippings about Harry. Well, presumably Loxley was like, hey, Dick, I got sent to prison why don't you save up a whole bunch of clippings about Mr. Selfridge and I'm going to get some revenge style. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, anyway, that's that's what's going on there. Edgerton asks why Loxley is so obsessed with Selfridge. He says that he, Edgerton, has also been disgraced. He had to sell the estate and get a job. Uh, but not quit the club, apparently. Apparently not. They'll always have a place for us at the club. <laughs> uh, so he asks Loxley why he doesn't just draw a line under it all. Loxley says that Harry took what was mine and edgerton's like oh may and leans forward and says so harry did pay her legal fees for the divorce like everybody's gossiping about looks like somebody else has been reading the gossip columns <laughs> uh, loxley says that he took her away and he intends to pay him back uh, may took herself away dumb fuck yeah like he may have paid her legal fees but she was gonna run as far away from him as possible yeah and in terms of like paying him back like his wife died was that not in the papers? Like, that's... Yeah. Like, done and done. It's yeah. too late. God got his revenge on your behalf, Loxley. <laughs> Move on. We see a sign for Kalianos, yeah. which is presumably the club from before. <laughs> right. Uh, George walks in. Fat Thomas and Haircut are setting up a bar. And George looks at the list of cocktails and asks, what's wrong with beer? Which, for the record, nothing. I just like to say. Fat Thomas says he wants big money. Uh, he's hired a Dixieland band, and that's what the party set her into. And he says they can't half play a tune, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> right. And he whirls haircut around. Uh, so I do think that Fat Thomas is dating her. Right. You don't yeah, just whirl is, somebody no, around. You're right. Uh, Fat Thomas heads to another room. George asks Haircut if the band is a good idea. And then Haircut says if he can afford it, which uh, also leads me to believe that their relationship not super serious. Yeah. Because uh, anytime you call somebody else's finances into question, uh, you're not you're not like putting down stakes. You've got a foot out the door yeah. as, as needed. Yes. Yeah. At the reception, Harry asks Mustache where the report that he's buying this aerodrome came from. And Mustache is like uh, that dude over there. That's marrying your daughter. Harry was afraid of that. Mustache suggests that, oh, it was perhaps just high spirits that led him to start telling Mustache these lies. Mustache has an outlook on the world that is as rosy as his own ginger complexion. <laughs> it's true. I guess I'll say he has a professional interest in putting a positive spin on people giving stories to newspapers. Yeah, I guess that's also true. Yeah. Anyway, Harry says that he should have done more digging on Sergei, but it all happened so quickly. He asks if Mustache... Um, yeah. Therefore, you should have done significantly more digging. Right. 
he asks Mustache if he's heard anything else about Sergey. And Mustache, and I love this line, he says, he's out and about like we were at his age. Yeah. And Harry's like, fuck. And here's what kills me. He could have called mm-hmm. Mustache at any time. At any time. Long distance from Ireland even. And been sure. like, hey, you've got your mustache to the ground. Like, what's going on with this dude? <laughs> but he uh, he didn't. Then Sergei summons everyone for speeches and cake. Ma asks if it shouldn't be Harry. Ha, 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 speeches and cake. <laughs> Doing the speaking. And Harry's like, uh... Sergei says that when his mother introduced him to Rosalie, he thought she was the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. So good so far. And then he says, and then I discovered that she was a Selfridge. Uh, oh, and the awkwardness continues to grow as he talks about Harry had that thing with that plane the one time. And he's always been interested in aviation ever since he was a boy. Uh, Kitty whispers to Mustache, mustache that he doesn't have to go on about himself. Um, Listen, they're quickly becoming my favorite couple because they remind me the most of you and me. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Being married means that you can be mean about literally everybody <laughs> and your spouse can't testify against you in court. <laughs> That's right. Like a real court, the people's court, a tennis court, no court. <laughs> That's no right. court can your spouse. Be, like they're always like, I got you, boo. That's like, right. I'm not going to fucking talk shit about you mm-hmm. and all the shit that we have privately talked <laughs> Yeah. The princess sees her son being a dick and tries to interrupt and like smooth things over by refocusing the speech on Rosalie uh, and then proposes a toast. They all drink and then the princess smashes the glass uh, and people have various reactions to these Which goings Which is mostly on. like, uh, we're British lady. Slow your roll. Right. Like, that glass costs $2. Why do you think you got run out of Russia? Solid point. Possibly you kept smashing everybody's glasses. They're like, God damn it. George is standing around at Colliano's while Fat Thomas is getting dressed. And apparently Fat Thomas is giving 10% of his monthly take to this inspector. Right. Fat Thomas says they're meant to stop serving alcohol at nine. Nine? Yeah, nine. Good Lord. Uh, look, man, I'm barely getting started at nine. I know. And the inspector makes sure everybody turns a blind eye as they continue to serve drinks well past. Yeah. George asks if he can afford the band. Uh, Fat Thomas says he doesn't need to pay them until the end of the week. George is skeptical right. that he will have this much money. Also, if you're going to pay 10% to serve drinks past nine, that's fine. But are you recouping that 10%? You know what I mean? I don't have a problem with you paying a crooked cop. <laughs> right. If that's the situation. Look, that's I how think... the nightlife enter- like uh, industry works. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think almost certainly because if you assume that there's a bunch of other clubs in the area who are paying 10%, if you're one that isn't, like people aren't going to come to your place before nine knowing they're going to have to leave at nine anyway. Yeah. But to... that's also how, you know, this inspector's racket is working. Well, right. Anyway. Yeah. Corruption sucks, you guys. Fat Thomas says in France, uh, they would all say that if they got back, they'd take every chance that came their way. Uh, George says it sounds risky, and I agree. Yeah. And Fat Thomas says that George has the store and his sister. Uh, Fat Thomas gets real maudlin and says he came back to nothing and thus has nothing to lose, which is not a great attitude to have when you're trying to get a small business off the ground. Yeah. Although I suspect that's how a lot of small businesses get off the ground. That's also probably true. Yeah. Russian people drink a Russian toast at the reception. Harry watches them in size. If only I were Russian. <laughs> then I'd really be nailing it. <laughs> Leclerc comes up and offers him a cigar. They look out over the roof. Leclerc asks if he can spare Agnes tomorrow, as they don't want to wait a minute longer to get married. 
Harry says that that's wonderful news and starts to go in for a hug, but gets shoved aside by some playboy and some floozy. Leclerc says that it's quite a party, and Harry agrees and looks sadly at the Russians again. And Leclerc stands there with a cigar like, are we going to smoke these? I was really kind of excited. Like, I just got back from France. (laughs) Right. From France? (laughs) Les cigars? (laughs) There you go. French again. Mais oui. Flawless. It's morning at Selfridges, and children run up to see the windows being unveiled. Once again, someone please invent television. We <laughs> see got a jo- moving, swinging person in yeah, this Yeah, look, it is great. <laughs> Nobody's saying that's not true. Right. We see George uh, doing paperwork in his office, and then the artful porter comes up to say, Well, stock has arrived. Should we get up on the floor? George doesn't answer for some reason. Yeah. He just, like, sits there, and then he gets up and leaves and tells her to sort it out. Yeah. Very odd. She's like, well, I got this belt, but I ain't half a brain. <laughs> oh, I finally got my Artful Porter voice back. Yeah, no, that's good. Whew. I'm relieved as Crisis well. averted, customers. <laughs> we figured it all out. On the shop floor, Grove tells Nunu Gordon that it's good to see so many customers. And Nunu Gordon says that the numbers are trending up. He was going over them with crabs, so that's all great. George comes up. Grove asks what he's doing there with the normal people. <laughs> he says that he needs to talk to Grove. And Grove says, all right. In hotel lobby, a lizard reads a newspaper. Uh, presumably, this one has nothing about Mr. Selfridge in it. <laughs> right. As Sergey walks to the front desk to ask for a taxi to their train to Venice, and the clerk says, "Sure, uh, but hey, this lizard wants to see you." <laughs> Loxley greets him and introduces himself, and he says he spent the last four years in the United States investing in tobacco, which we know to be a lie as he was being disgraced in uh, Oscar Wilde prison. (laughs) Well, it was lizard prison, but you've got to figure there's some overlap there. I would think so. He says he read about Sergei's uh, aerodrome. Yes. Like videodrome except for planes. No. Oh. (laughs) Long live the new propeller. (laughs) So he read about the aerodrome and he praises it. Sergey says it's hard to get money from Harry. Sergey, if you're going to fucking flee somebody, like have some fake loyalty. Yeah. You know? Anyway, Loxley says that there might be other projects that they could discuss at his club around the corner. Uh, Sergey says, the club. <laughs> but he says, oh, he's heading out on his honeymoon. And Loxley says, oh, that's too bad. I might not be in town when you get back. Which is what I always want to hear from an investor. Uh, Hey, I've got a great opportunity, but I'm literally about to leave town. Also, can you watch my timeshare? (laughs) Don't worry. I'm impossible to get a hold of. Uh, Sergey says he'll leave a note for his uh, wife of probably less than 12 hours. Yeah. Well, probably a bit more because they get married early in England. Oh, yeah, that's true. They do tend to have a morning wedding. Yeah. In Harry's office with a possibly different portrait... I think it is, and I think it's more disturbing than the old one. I think it is. It's like we don't get like it. Like, did Harry focus. go out and say, I want to find a worse artist than Roddy the Rat? <laughs> Impossible. You, sir, you're <laughs> nailing it. <laughs> Crab asked about Leclerc and Agnes. Harry says that it's spur of the moment and romantic, and they'll have a week's honeymoon. It's not that spur of the moment. I know. Like, he's, you know, they've been like planning to do this for a while. It's true. But, you know, Leclerc didn't think it would be happening yet. Yeah, that's true. Crab asked about the aviation project. Harry says that it could be very interesting. Crab is not sure that this is the right moment with what, with all their expansion, but Harry says they can't stand still. Uh, you need antidepressants, sir. <laughs> 
Plunkett knocks and announces Grove and Nunu Gordon. I guess there's no Blankensop. Yeah, it doesn't which seem is to be. unfortunate. Yeah. We like Blank. I mean, I like Plunkett, but she's no Blankensop. Well, you know, maybe if Blankensop had still been being the family secretary, she would have asked some questions she about Sergei. She probably Sergei. fucking would have. She's yeah. got a very discerning and aristocratic nose. <laughs> On the shop floor, fake Doris is showing off a hat for those May days when you're boating on the river. Wait, isn't she from Wales or something? Yeah, she's from Wales. She's like the north. I'm not going to get that right. No. We don't hear her talk enough in this episode. No. We get, I mean, I I put that line in just because that's the only like actual retail yeah. activity we see in the whole so episode. So I guess she's out of the tea shop. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Kitty greets Mrs. Dabolatov, uh, which is Rosalie. Yeah. And she says she's not used to the name, but Kitty says, oh, by the end of the honeymoon, you'll have forgotten you were called anything else. <laughs> which, I don't know. I wouldn't put anything past Kitty. <laughs> that's, that's true. Like, honestly, I'm amazed that her sister even found her. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and to be fair, Kitty... Like, uh, Kitty's like Gone Girl if things had turned out good for her. Right. Kitty also married somebody that she liked. That also is a good point. Yeah. I mean, still. Like, you can't forget. <laughs> Rosalie says she's looking for Chinaware, and then Kitty asks where they'll be living. And Rosalie says that Harry's rented them a muse house in Mayfair, which I assume is nice. Yeah. And then Kitty asks where Sergei is. And Rosalie very jadedly says shopping isn't his thing. And I'm like, you are so depressed. Like, you were depressed before. You're yeah. more depressed now. God, she's reminding me of somebody. And I feel like it's Rachel Lee Cook playing someone. <laughs> but like... Could be. There's somebody that she keeps reminding me of, and I'm not sure what. Well, they both, there's something about the eyes that also is familiar to me. Oh, you know what it is, actually? It's Karen on Smash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. She should have just turned him down because she was in tech. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, an amuse house in Mayfair, as I understand it, is currently... Like, that's like would cost all the money in the world oh, great. to rent that place. That would be neat. <laughs> in Harry's office, apparently George has handed in his notice. He says that he has found it hard to settle since he got back. Which, on the one hand, okay, getting back from war, having a hard time managing a loading bay, I get mm-hmm. that. Grove, however, draws the conclusion that the men and the women can't rub along together down Bad there. Bad choice of words! Yeah, like that... We need to talk. We need to call in. Although HR. maybe that would solve the problem. <laughs> Get Darren Nichols in there. <laughs> He'll figure it out. Yeah. He says there's been trouble for months, and he thinks they should let the women go. Crab says the cash flow is tight and staff bills are high, and so it sounds good. But Selfridge says that they can take them out of the loading bay if they have to, but they'll have to find other places for them. Did you not just hear what Mister Crab said? Dude. He did not care. All right. I'm just saying. (laughs) Also, look, as a feminist, I just want to point out they should keep the skilled workers, uh, a.k.a. the women, (laughs) so they don't have to then retrain the men. Because we've heard that the problem is that the men don't know where anything is. Right. Um, well, now, I mean, keep in mind that many of these men will have been men who were in those same jobs before they went to war, just that they, you know, it's been a year or two and, you know, things get changed around. Right. So that's three months. Right. To retrain. Yeah. I, I'm. Look, women get fired for having babies. I don't see why we can't fire men for going to war. That's fine. But Harry did promise that they would not get fired, that they would all have a job when they got back. Whether he should have made that promise or not, he did. I know. But listen, let's get to the end of the scene here. Because uh, 
Gross yeah, so, yeah, Grove says that they're used to manual work, and Harry says that they'll retrain them, and not the money's no object, they'll find it, they have to, and he tells Grove to go tell the women that right now. Right now. Uh, bad move, Amber. That's what he says. They're already pretty pissed off. Yeah. But Nunu Gordon hangs back and says that if Grove and Crab think it's right to let the women go, but Harry cuts them off, says that Rose started them off, and even designed their uniforms, and letting them go would be a betrayal of her memory. Which, like, yes, but no. Well, I mean, like, no, look, I agree with him. Yeah. But then let them stay in the uniforms that she designed in the job that was designed for them. I agree with that part. But I mean, you know, he's being told that they can't work with the men. And he's, you know, he's a CEO. He has to trust his managers if they're telling him that that's the case. And he's not he's refusing to fire them. And in fact, they'll the impression I got from what Crab was saying is that they will all actually be banking more money once they're retrained. Mm. So that's nice for them. Anyway. Nunu Gordon says that the store really needs him, and Harry says he's been out of London for a bit, but he's back now. Um, Plunkett comes in to say that Rosalie is in the Palm Court and hopes that Harry will join her for a cup of coffee. Uh, the Palm Court, incidentally, is where Rosalie will sit and become Miss Havisham. <laughs> in the Palm Court, Rosalie poses for a painting called The Saddest Newlywed. <laughs> Harry comes in and greets her and asks if everything is all right. And she says that she was supposed to have breakfast with Sergei, but he left her a note. And she says, maybe that's normal. I don't know. And I'm like, do you also not have any friends like your mom? She used to have friends. Lady May made sure of it. That's true. And like, you should know what's okay for people to do when they're married. You should. Anyway, she starts crying as she says that she misses Ma. Uh, Harry says not to worry, but he knows full well he doesn't really have anything to back that up with. Yeah. You can see it, too. He says, don't worry. And he's like, I should really follow that with another sentence, but I can't. Not nailing it. (laughs) Oxford Street is bustling, and a woman carrying a portfolio enters Selfridges. In Plunkett's office, Harry tells Plunkett to summon his family for a glass of champagne to see off the newlyweds uh, and to make sure to send a message to Sergei as well. Portfolio woman walks in, says that her name is Nancy Webb, and she needs to see Harry. Plunkett's like, <laughs> asks if she is expected. Nancy says no. Plunkett says that he is busy, and she will have to come again. Nancy says that that's typical, which is true. Executives do typically not see anyone that walks in the door. Uh, No, that is pretty much the whole point of being an executive. <laughs> right. She says that men like him hide behind their secretaries, which yeah, they do. They That's... worked real hard. <laughs> right. Anyway, Harry uh, is like, did somebody call me chicken? <laughs> he walks in. Harry out. McFly. <laughs> Let's see that Back to the Future Mr. Selfridge mashup we've all been hankering for. Really? Come mm-hmm. on, people. In Harry's office, he asks Miss Webb what he can do for her. She hands him a paper with a report about the aerodrome and asks him not to buy the land in Acton. He asks why not. She says there's a housing shortage and that the land is the perfect place for subsidized cottages. She hands him a business card and Harry asks and impressed if she owns her own company. She says she does. She specializes in social welfare projects. Uh, she pulls out some blueprints labeled Homes for Heroes uh, for returning veterans of the war. Right. And she says that the government will match whatever investment they receive from a private investor. She says that Lord Meadows was going to invest, but is thinking of pulling out because he doesn't want to bid against Harry Selfridge because he probably correctly, especially since Harry's completely insane <laughs> at this point, right. going to lose. 
Harry says that the article's rumor, but Nancy says that his Sergei told Lord Meadows all about Her- about Harry's plans, which is a real dick move. Yes, it is. Harry says that he doesn't have any plans. Nancy says the auction's coming up soon, and she needs to know if Harry's bidding on it so she can look for a new piece of land. Harry says that he will keep her informed. Nancy thanks him kind of frustratedly. Yeah. But she's got a solid pair of brass balls. She does. And it's like, you know, she thanks him. She knows that's all she's well, getting. And, I mean, look, she's a fucking badass lady architect in like 1919. Yeah. It's insane. It is insane. But Harry says that his wife built cottages like that for artists in Chicago, and she thought home was more important than anything else. Nancy says that she was right, and she leaves. At Martle House, Claire looks at the wedding ring he has. Martle comes in and says that Agnes is nearly ready. LeClaire says that she is not wearing black, and Martel says that she had to come out of mourning sometime, so this seemed like a good moment. Le- it's interesting that she is wearing mourning since she presumably did not marry Florian. I mean, she's being called Miss Martel still. Oh, you're right. That's a good... I was about to question that, but yeah. 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 I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong right. in it. No, absolutely. And I, well, and I didn't even notice it, too, mm-hmm. that it was black. Um, I think I did a bit. Well, it's odd to wear black to a wedding, Oh yeah, I feel, if you're not like a like really old person. No, you're right. LeClaire says that he was sorry to hear about Florian, and Martle says that everyone lost somebody. I was like, not the people at Downton Abbey. They just yeah. lost a servant and somebody's nephew. Like, they were <laughs> fine. LeClaire says, yes, one man comes back and another doesn't. Why me and not him? Martle says that he mustn't feel guilty, that he and Agnes absolutely deserve their happiness. Agnes walks in, and everybody's emotional. The Selfridges are gathered in the palm court. We think it might be like an off-room banquette right. in the palm court. Violette says they've got Beatrice packed and sent back to school, presumably the ghoul school <laughs> that Scooby and Shaggy taught at all those years ago. Uh, Violette wants to know they're, what all this is about. They're just attending there now. <laughs> uh, they see Sergei and the princess at coat check. Violette says she's sick of the princess. She was at the house all morning and Ma ended up hiding in the laundry cupboard. Ma claims there were pillows that needed folding, which is a ridiculous statement. <laughs> it is. The princess comes in and orders a martini. Uh, we have no idea what time it is, incidentally. Yeah. She greets Rosalie, asks if they've been buying for the new house. Harry says that's what he wanted to talk about. And he says he doesn't think it's the best time for Rosalie and Sergei to set up a new home. They should get to know each other and would like Rosalie and Sergei to live with them. Uh, Violet says correctly that he should have asked everybody else. Yeah. Rosalie says that means that Violet won't need to deal with servants and menus. Uh, oh yeah, because Violet would have had to be the hostess going forward. Right. Because y'all get male primogeniture and we get <laughs> shat on. Yeah. Uh, it's Women's History Month, everybody. I'm real bitter. <laughs> Sergey says that the princess was going to live with them, uh, which he had not said to Rosalie. Right. This fucking situation. Yeah. This is going to end in murder. If I think. Like, don't be fucking around with people that don't want you to this stay ends, with them. This ends with an aerial dogfight between Harry and Sergey. Anyway, the princess says that she was going to live there just while you were getting settled. Ma asks if the princess has somewhere else to live, and she says she has a charming flat in Eaton Square. So Sergei says if she's sure, she says yes. And while they're under the same roof, they can talk about the aerodrome. And Harry is like, uh, about that. Yeah. In a church, we see Leclerc putting a ring on Agnes because he liked it. Mm-hmm. The minister leads Agnes through the oath, and George hands Martel a tissue. 
crossfade to Agnes and Monsieur Leclerc sitting on a blanket in the meadow. And she says that when he visited on leave, she wanted to get married right then. Monsieur Leclerc says that he didn't want to tempt fate, uh, but that she has him forever now. He then makes a show of finding a honeymoon destination in his pocket. She asks where, and he says it's a, it's a surprise. We are on record. Yeah, we are. Surprises equal sign bad. Yeah, not happy about it. She grabs for it, but they just end up making out. Agnes says, not here, but LeClaire says there's no one about, and they have picnic sex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In Harry's office, Harry tells Sergei that if he gets the plane built, he will then consider building the aerodrome. You know, don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he already, you know, the terrorist has a hostage now. Oof. Sergei says that it's not cheap to build an airplane, and Harry says that he never said he would finance it. Sergei says that Harry said they'd work together, and Harry's like, yeah, in a general way. And I mean, like, you really think you're going to pull a fast one on somebody who has created a retail empire? Yeah, he eats pieces of shit like you for breakfast. Yeah, what a maroon. (laughs) Sergei says that he has other possible investors, and Harry's like, great, go to them. Sergey says, oh, well, if you don't want to keep it in the family. And Harry says not to use his daughter as leverage and to behave with her or he'll give him hell. Sergey walks out saying, I'd like to see you try. I think he should have Sergey killed. I, well, honestly, blame it, on, blame it on a Bolshevik or the alcohol. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can you can look. He's very wealthy. Yeah. Like, for God's sake. You Although, you know, it might destroy the selfish honor again. Well, I suppose. Get the but artful just... porter to do it. She'd make it look like an accident. <laughs> I mean, surely Mustache still has contacts in the underworld. You mean Roddy the Rat's bohemian circle? <laughs> yeah, sure. Back at Colliano's, the inspector heads in and the place seems packed. Including black people in the crowd, not just on stage. Uh, impressive. Yeah. It's a very egalitarian uh, club? Bar? Club. Nightclub. Yeah. I think it's a nightclub. I thought it was supposed to be a restaurant, though. I think he was originally going to open a restaurant. I think what he is now doing is opening a nightclub. Yeah. Well, you know, Polly's is gone, sir, or whatever, so... Oh, yeah. What was that called? I don't remember. It was called... It didn't have, like... It was, like... She had, like, a weird, like, Greek name. Yeah. It was... Yeah. It was, like... It started with an A. For sure. <laughs> All I can think of is Athenaeus, and that's right. not it. That's Louis the Fourteenth's mistress. Yeah. Uh, it was the spirit of Delphine. Right. Not with an A. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, Delphine. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, this has been us remembering <laughs> what happened last season. Yeah. A common theme in our podcast. George uh, w- goes up to Haircut, who says the band is catching on. George says he needs to talk to Fat Thomas, and Haircut says he's in his office. George heads off before Haircut can say he's busy and can't be bothered with the life of George Tower right now. <laughs> yeah. So George walks up to Fat Thomas's office, all fresh-faced and innocent, uh, and he sees the inspector sitting at Fat Thomas's desk saying that he wants more money. Fat Thomas says that he can't have it. The inspector says in that case, he needs to let some gentlemen run their business inside his club. Fat Thomas says no and that he said no before. You call yourself an Italian. (laughs) The inspector says that it's that or more money. And then he stands up aggressively. And then George runs in, waving money in front of him, saying, here, take it, take it. Boy, everybody's negotiating with terrorists this episode. Yeah. The inspector does take it and says, that's the rate for next month, and heads out. Fat Thomas shuts the door and quite rightly glares at George. Um, I mean, Fat Thomas might have ended up having to fork over the money anyway, but, you know. No, don't be shown as weak in front of a clearly bad person, TM. Yeah. 
He asks why George is dressed up. He says he's ready to come back. Uh, mentions that Agnes got married. And Fat Thomas asks where George got the money. He says that Martel has not been letting him pay rent, so he's been saving up. And he wants to come in with Fat Thomas on the club. Fat Thomas says it's too risky, and George says, well, in that case, he is out of work since he quit Selfridges. And Fat Thomas, he says, needs someone to watch his back. Hey, remember when George Taller was developmentally disabled? Yes, I do. Uh, maybe that's what's going on here still? <laughs> this is not a good plan. No, it's not a good plan. And also, what do you mean, watch your back? You mean destroy your negotiate? Like, this is your opening move yeah, as also, watching his Fat back? Fat Thomas has a good 80 pounds on you yeah like what's what are you gonna do yeah i'd be more interested in seeing george trying to manage the loading bay i also would so that's disappointing a little bit we'll see how it goes the princess arrives in the hotel lobby uh the same hotel i think Uh, yeah yeah as uh rosalie and sergey were in right which makes sense for no other reason than saving money on the production she says that she telegrammed to reserve their best suite the clerk asks how long she'll be staying and she says indefinitely uh, he asks about the bill, and she says to charge it to the Selfridge account. Which, can you just say that at hotels without some ID? Right. Can I just go to the W and be like, oh, put it on the Zuckerberg account. Mm, you know, credit doesn't work the way it used to. No. I don't know. You may have, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm going to go try it. Uh, Send have, bail. have fun in prison, <laughs> babe. I'm going to enjoy my alone time while you go to hotel prison. <laughs> Does the W have its own prison? Oh, yeah. But you get Bliss products, so it's okay. <laughs> bliss shanks. They smell like lemon sage. <laughs> At Martel House, the lights are all out, and Martel tells the arriving Leclerc and Agnes that a fuse is blown, and she's been trying to fix it, but is not very good at that sort of thing. Uh, so Leclerc, being the man, is deputized, and she points him to where the fuses are, and he heads down a dark staircase and starts having a flashback. He sees soldiers lined up along the wall. One of them starts talking to him. Uh, Leclerc stumbles into the kitchen to get water, knocks something over, is, you know, freaking out. Agnes calls for him and heads down, and Leclerc claims that he's fine against all evidence. So here we have Chekhov's PTSD. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this affects things with him and Agnes going forward. I mean, Agnes seems pretty stalwart. No, I mean, she's, you know, she has been through some shit. Yeah. So. But also, if he's not willing to, like, admit he has a problem. Right. Then that is going to be difficult for her. That's true. So, we will see. It is only episode one. Yeah. The PTSD has barely begun to unravel itself. Yeah. At Selfridge House, Harry enters room, and it's Rose's room, uh, with all her art supplies and such. He opens up a rolled-up drawing of some houses, and then we get some VO of Nancy talking about how the land would be good for housing in case we forgot that scene in the last five minutes. Yeah, that was very weird. Uh, Harry then arrives at a for sale sign, uh, presumably on the field in Acton, walks out into it, and clearly has but one thought in mind. Nailing it! Oh, you can see it in his face oh, in this yeah. shot, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like he thinks it's his idea. No, I know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the end of uh, Series 3, Episode 1. Yeah. Which brings us now to uh, a segment we like to call the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the Selfies. That's right. Topical. <laughs> uh, appropriately, the first award is the Nailing It Award. Right. That uh, is the award for the person who uh, is doing the best by their own reckoning. That's right. And uh, really just doing what they set out to do. Yeah. 
And uh, actually, very few people nailing it this episode. Yeah, people are kind of a wreck in this episode. Right. So we had to give it to Princess Marie. Yeah, she's uh, she's got her son married to a very rich man's daughter. Mm-hmm. She is staying for free. Nobody has seen through any of her various lies yet. Yeah. So, uh, great. Yeah. I mean, we imagine she's due for a comeuppance, but as far as this episode is concerned, nailing it. Yeah. Next up, we have the stick poke. That uh, was uh, user suggested. Yeah. Customer and suggested. That's right. This is for the most what the fuck moment of the entire episode. We're giving that to George Towler for up and quitting. Yeah. We saw a lot of things coming this episode. We did. That was not one of them. No. That was that was weird. Yeah. And we still think ill-advised. Next up, we have Window Worthy for the most visually stunning aspect of this week's episode. Right. And that goes to the panoramic shot of London and the roof of Selfridges uh, right at the beginning there. Yeah, hopefully they didn't uh, blow their whole budget on that. <laughs> right. Hopefully. But yeah. I mean, you know. They this... were like, either Florian lives or we get this shot. <laughs> and they chose that shot. Oh, fair enough. Um no, and, you know, that may, it may not always be a shot. It might be a costume in future or, or a, you know, a display thing in the store if we ever start doing that again. And that brings us to our final selfie award, which is the eyeliner scale of eyeliner. All right. So just to clarify for right. those of you who don't use eyeliner. <laughs> so this is where we judge each episode on a scale of three designations. The first and easiest is crayon. Right. The second, slightly more difficult, pencil. And then the ultimate, the creme de la eyeliner, is liquid. <laughs> right. So that sort of degree of difficulty in terms of applying eyeliner slash executing an episode of Mr. Selfridge. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Well, you'll figure it out. So we've decided this is a pencil episode. Yeah. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's reasonably well executed. Right. Well, I mean, and what it is, too, I mean, this is practically, I mean, there aren't any continuing storylines from the last season, like, basically yeah, I mean, at there's all some ver- there's some dotted lines right i mean like you know was fat thomas gonna open his own business yes igor's gone right so maybe igor died in the war also it's possible uh weren't they not fighting in the war? well obviously Victor they said have. they weren't going to for reasons yeah they weren't conscientious objectors well they were italian was the issue right but well that's also part of and that's part of what i think what is nicely you know, elegantly exposited is the way that the war as the years went on kept reaching out and drafting more and more people. Yeah. That people that did not think they were going to end up going to war wound up going to war. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something I thought that was, you know, subtly were, you know, reasonably subtly were. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so there was a ton of new stuff to establish as well as expo- expositing everything that happened in the last, you know, X years. Uh, so it was a, a difficult task. At times, a little creaky. Uh huh. But you know, we're. I mean, everything's pretty well set up at yeah, this I point. Yeah, I mean, we're on They've... board. We're hoping Lady May shows up at some point. Oh yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah, she's really the cherry on top of nailing it. Right. So when Lady May is not around, we're asking each other, "Where's Lady May?" Yeah, we certainly are. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh wow, we don't have a cute sign off. Oh no, we don't. So I guess there's no cute sign off yet. Oh. I know. Well, we'll figure it out. We will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So come back next time, customers. We will have Series 3, Episode 2. And uh, yeah, it seems weird to just be petering out like this. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>